This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yes, welcome into UAP, episode 70. Stephen Diener right here on the Unidentified Alien Podcast. So happy to be back with you and so happy that you're joining once again for another UAP adventure as we dive into part two of Australian Mysteries, Sightings Down Under. And as we begin, I'd like to point out that in part one, which I had a lot of fun with, that, you know, glad we got to do this series here. And again, I didn't mean to do a two-part series, but I mentioned how Australia has that rich history when it comes to UFO sightings, and they do. But what I didn't realize was just how rich that history was. I mean, I knew it was a lot, but when I was finishing up my research for this episode, I came across the fact that the Australian government has thousands of reports within their case files that have been investigated by the military. And as that fact kind of set in for me, it occurred to me that Australia could quite possibly be the most underrated hotbed of UFO slash UAP activity on the globe. Now, that's just my opinion. And maybe you will agree with that after you hear these two stories today out of the thousands within those files that continue to really perplex those who investigated them. But first, before we get there, you know, we must hit our factoid. So here we go. Factoid. Ah, yes, there it is. The factoid sounder. A um, couple things real quick. I don't want to spend too, too much time here on the factoid because I want to get into these stories. But the first thing is, and this is more of like a an announcement more than, than a factoid. I want to let you know what's going down on Monday, June 12th. Uh, it is a disclosure conference that is happening in Washington, D.C. And if you heard um, UAP Weekly a couple of weeks or about, about a week and a half ago, I spoke to Paige Fox, who is uh, the attorney that I spoke with working with Dr. Stephen Greer, by the way, um, and one of her partners, Derek, and they are working together to try to bring UFO alien evidence into the court system and actually, you know, uh, bring it in, in, into the legal system and to bring all the, these things that we've spoken about here on UAP and more to try to prove it within the courts, which is fascinating to me. I, I'm so intrigued by that idea. Um, and they reached out to me and they're going to this disclosure conference on Monday, June 12th. And They've invited me, and I've decided to go. So I'm going to be going to this disclosure conference in Washington, D.C., again, happening on, on June 12th. So when I get back, I would suspect that on the next episode of UAP Weekly, I will have a pretty good update for you on what's going on and what I learned there uh, after that conference is over. So looking forward to reporting back to you after I get back from uh, 
that that conference. It's it really should. It's fascinating. It should be really fascinating. I'm looking forward to finding out what I'm going to find out. So I will let you know. Um, other than that, this has really been in the news, and this is more of the factoid that I wanted to get into. Other than, like I said, that was more of like an announcement to let you know what was going on. This Las Vegas sighting is really starting to blow up. So if you haven't heard about this, here's what's going on in Las Vegas. So this goes back to May 1st, and it's just all kind of coming out now. And it was this kind of green-looking streak that fell from the sky and reportedly landed in somebody's backyard. Now, when I hear a green streak, I think of some type of meteor. It usually makes that type of color, that bluish-greenish, as it falls to the earth. Now, this video was actually picked up by a police uh, dash cam, police car dash cam, that just happened to be set up on the side of the road. I think there was just a traffic stop, and it just happened to be there at the right time as this thing fell from the sky. Now, where this gets interesting, because you do see that part on the video, what we don't see is what happened next, reportedly. According to the reports and according to the 911 call, the transcript of the 911 call, the backyard that it landed in, those people who were living there called 911 and started to basically uh, just explain what they were seeing and what they were explaining to the dispatcher was, and they were terrified, that's why they called 911, they were saying that they were seeing these creatures 8 to 9 to 10 feet tall in their backyard staring at them. Through their backyard with big black eyes. I mean, wow, right? I, I, I really don't know what to make of this. It's kind of nuts. It's kind of crazy, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't want that to sound bad. It's just, it's, it's an incredible story, and it gets even crazier, actually. And when I say crazy, I mean just, like, mind-blowing type of stuff here. So two things that have kind of developed uh, since this story started kind of coming out um, a couple of days ago, is number one, the kid, one of the people there, there was about four or five people living in, in the house or in the house at that time, and one of the guys, young guy, his name is Angel apparently, and he's come out and talked on video kind of detailing in uh, his explanation about exactly what happened, the time frame, you know, when it came down, what they saw, all that stuff. Um, I retweeted that video on the UAP Twitter if you want to check it out. If you haven't seen it yet, you can. it's about seven minutes long, and you can watch it in its entirety because I retweeted that uh, so it can be you know readily available for you. At UA Podcast 850 is the Twitter, so you can check that out if you want to see his video explanation, one of the guys who was there. And then they also had that video that kind of popped up, and some people were trying to zoom in on the video because they're shooting into the backyard and you see maybe this kind of black figure move, and some people were able to freeze frame that and like super zoom into it, and you can kind of make out what looks like a tall gray. So it's it's kind of subjective, I'm not going to lie. Um, it really is. You kind of have to, you know, I, we always say make up your own mind on this one because there isn't any other pictures or videos that show this. There is the uh, ring doorbell camera that picked up the sound of a crash. So that was interesting. It's all it's all really wild. But here's the other thing. So, well, before I get to that, it's really up to you, you know, what you want to take them at their word for because apparently, according to some other reports, 
all the big black SUVs, you know, the men in black type thing, they pulled up and took all videos, all evidence, all that stuff. Um, that's what they say. So why weren't they able to capture more of this, you know, supposed nine foot tall alien in their backyard with pictures or video? I don't know. I mean, the the, the guy Angel was talking about, it was some type of like, you know, weird haze around it, almost like a camouflage type thing, which I found interesting. But again, you can check out, I have retweeted his entire video explanation where he talks about that night um, right there on the UAP Twitter account at UAPodcast850. But here's the other thing, and this is more of like a personal connection, which I found super strange, but also maybe it gives an explanation. So I was talking to my wife about this, and she's like, hey, what's this thing in Vegas? And so I was explaining to her what this story kind of was, and I showed her the video from the dash cam of the police car of the green streak coming down, which again, to me, on first glance, I thought it was a meteor. She sees this green green streak on the video and starts freaking out and says, oh my gosh, I saw that. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on, what's going on here? <laughs> so go back now to May 1st. Like I said, this happened on May 1st. She reminded me, I was out that night with our kids on the road. We were driving home from an appointment. And as we were driving home, she called me and said, hey, did you see that green streak in the sky? And I didn't. Um, I guess I just wasn't facing the right way. But she reminded me of that. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. I do remember you telling me about this. And it actually happened. We retraced our steps and went back to when the appointment was when I was coming home with the kids, when I got the phone call from her. It happened on May 1st. So she saw the same green light. My wife, my, this, this happened to me. Okay. My own wife saw the same type of green streak that these people in Las Vegas saw that got caught on the police dash cam video. I shouldn't say the same type. She says it's the, the exact same thing. So I'm going by her words. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that she saw the same craft? Does that mean that she saw a separate craft? Does that mean that she saw a meteor shower? And that the people in Vegas saw a meteor shower. I did some digging. There was a meteor shower from May 5th up until May 14th. The peak of it being on May 9th. But this is May 1st. So if they did, if my wife and these people in Las Vegas both saw similar meteors on May 1st, it would have been about four days or so before the sighting or, or I should say before the meteor shower was actually set to take place on the astronomical calendar. So it's pretty wild. Now, they actually kind of have like a personal connection to this. So I will say this. This is kind of a call to action here within the factoid. And I apologize. This is such a long factoid. I'm probably going to have to do a whole episode on this story. But a call to action to ask you if you saw a similar type of green streak going through the sky, going downward then please get to me on Twitter at UAPodcast850 or email. And I'll I'll give the email again uh, at the end of the show because this is something kind of new that I set up if you don't do social media. Email uap at gmail.com. S-D-I-E-N-E-R-U-A-P at gmail.com. If you would rather email rather than, you know, reaching out on Twitter. If you saw something like that green light coming down from the sky, because we saw it here in South Florida. I should say that. We're in South Florida. That's where, our, that's where I live. 
So we saw that streak here in South Florida, and you have the witnesses in Vegas, and we see the same thing on the same night. So did you see this green light in the sky that my wife saw and that got caught on video in the Vegas sighting? Wherever you were, did you have a similar sighting? Just asking. So if you did, please let me know because now I'm really fascinated since I kind of have like a personal connection to this this uh, sighting now, even though I'm in South Florida and they're in Vegas. So it's a wild story. Some maybe coincidences going on if you believe in coincidence. Um, but yeah, there's probably a lot more to come from this that I will dig into at a later date because this one is really going viral everywhere and a lot of people are paying attention to it. And it's, uh, well, it's another UAP mystery, isn't it? But it's up to you if you want to believe all of the witness testimony. And I guess we'll go from there on this story out of Las Vegas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. But now it's time to jump into our first story here as we investigate the claims of a woman named Annie Farinaccio and what she described as a diamond-shaped UFO. Here's a little bit from Annie talking about that. I see a diamond-shaped craft hovering literally straight above the vehicle. There wasn't a single sound coming from this. Within seconds, it shoots up, straight up in the sky, like faster than you could watch it. Auspicious beginning there to our first story as we dive into Australian Mysteries Part 2, all these sightings that have taken place in Australia. And Annie has really quite the story that we're going to uh, go through here. And I hate to inform you that there wasn't much more sound for me to work with on this one from Annie herself. So you'll have to bear my voice as I give you the uh, the details that Annie gave in various interviews that appeared in print. So we're going to go through the story here because it is it's it's fascinating. And I'd love to, you know, kind of see what what you make of it. So how did Annie Farinaccio found herself face to face with a diamond shaped UFO in the first place? Right. Well, her story actually begins in late 1991, so a little over 30 years ago, when she was coming out of a party at around 2.30 in the morning, and this was at the Harold E. Holt U.S. Naval Communications Station, which is located in the Northwest Cape of Australia. 
Now, the station sits in a town called uh, Exmouth, and its purpose, and by the way, this is like a remote area of, of Australia. There's not much going on there, or at least in 1991, so maybe it's been built up more. I don't know. But its purpose was to act as a U.S. outpost, this uh, naval communication station, base, whatever you want to call it. It was supposed to be a U.S. outpost to give launch commands to the nuclear submarines that were, you know, kind of in that area in the water in case they had ever found themselves in that type of situation where we would need to fire off nuclear missiles. Thankfully, that never happened. It hasn't happened, and we pray that it never does. But as she left the party, she realized that it was too late to find a taxi. It was 2.30 in the morning and didn't exactly have Uber going around in, you know, one of a remote part of Australia in 1991. So she ended up getting in a ride home with a couple of police officers named Kevin and Alan, okay? Now, things began to take a strange turn a few minutes into the ride when Annie says she recalls the officer named Kevin yelling out, It's back! Grab the camera! So now she's thinking, okay, what's going on? But he's saying grab the camera to his partner, Alan, the other officer. He then began to snap away as he tried to capture on film what they really couldn't explain. But Annie was still trying to figure out what they were seeing. She couldn't see what they were seeing. And she's also probably thinking, how many times had they seen this thing before? Because Kevin says it's back. So what does that mean? Well, Kevin pulled her head forward and said to her, look up. That's when she says she saw a long diamond-shaped craft hovering overhead of their car with what she describes as having the rear edge kind of like chopped off and then rows of lights running towards the tip of the craft. So quite the sighting, right? I mean, this thing is is pretty much hovering right above them. Now, some people have even compared this to the famous uh, Calvin UFO sighting, which appeared in Scotland the year before. In 1990, and I covered that story in a previous episode. If you're not familiar with it, you can, of course, go back and uh, and listen. It's a famous sighting. Um, actually, I, I kind of brought up with Nick Pope in our UAP Weekly interview that we did a few weeks back as well because he investigated that, um, that, that sighting. Very fascinating. But for Annie and her mates, they had no idea what they were looking at in this moment, and rightfully so. So they continued to drive. And the policeman told Annie that they had seen the same craft following them the night beforehand. And now it was following them again. So according to her account, the UFO then began to dart up into the sky. So thinking, okay, it's, it's leaving. But then it came back down beside the car, almost in like a taunting manner. And this was instantaneous, according to her account. I mean, you think about this, how fast it would have to go up and then back down. And, and what would make it seem like... And never even moved at all. I mean, can you imagine something like this? Now, naturally, Annie was terrified, of course, as the policeman now began to speed down the road as the UFO actually chased them. So they're speeding. This thing is going up and down from the sky, comes down beside them, and it's chasing them down the road, according to her story. Now, during the height of terror for all of them, and uncertainty, really, Annie then says she saw the UFO dart back up into the sky once again before coming back down and landing in some shrubbery down the road. Now, at this point, Kevin and Alan wanted to stop to take some pictures because, you know, why not? I guess, right? At least at least they were thinking about getting some photographic evidence. But Annie was like, no, we got to get out of here. Take me home now. And she began to cry, actually, according to her story, because of how incredibly, you know, 
mortified and, and horrified she was about this whole thing. They continued to drive off. You know, said, okay, we'll take you home. They went as fast as they could before finally getting her home. She ran inside. She locked the door. And she thought her nightmare was over at that point. That was until a couple of days later when two American MPs came into her workplace and asked her to come with them. So now she's thinking that, well, this can't have anything to do with the diamond-shaped UFO that we just experienced a couple nights ago because she didn't tell anybody about it. She actually thought she was in trouble for being on the base so late and drinking into the wee hours of the night. That's, that's what she was thinking because, again, she didn't tell anybody about her sighting and what had happened a couple nights previous with this diamond-shaped UFO chasing them down the road. Well, she quickly realized that was not the case as they drove her into a top-secret portion of the base and led her into a room where she saw the two officers from that night. Alan and Kevin were sitting there. She knew this was not a good situation. And she also saw about four or five other men who she didn't know or recognize as being on the base before. Now, here's the thing you have to remember. Exmouth was, for the most part, again, a small remote town. So the locals knew and became familiar with a lot of the base personnel. But that wasn't the case for Annie in this moment. She didn't know who these guys were. The situation became very tense at best as they began to ask her what she saw that night. Now, she was very stubborn, (laughs) proud Australian, Annie was. She replied and told them straight up that she saw a UFO. And then they asked her to draw it for them when she did and showed them the picture of the diamond-shaped craft. So then they said to her, you do know that uh, this was a weather balloon, right? (laughs) She she couldn't believe it. they, They actually tried to pull off the weather balloon excuse to her. And she says that she actually laughed in their faces when they told her that it was just a weather balloon. Now, she knows what she saw, and she says it was no weather balloon. And that's what she told these men as well. Now, there was then a chilling moment as the two officers who were with her that night, Kevin and Alan, again sitting there in the room, she didn't know how long they had been sitting there already. They're sitting next to her, and she heard them mutter under their breath, kind of saying to her, please, just just stop. Go along with it because you're going to get us all killed. Think about the chill that must have ran down her spine in that moment. But she was defiant, and she refused to give in to their forceful tactics. After hours of questioning, she says they let her and the other officers go, and they went about their way. They went home. Now, it doesn't end there because after returning home, she decided to go ahead and find Alan. She found out where you know he lived and said, all right, I'm going to go speak to this guy at his home. And she asked him about that night, and he admitted to her, that he did drive back with Kevin to take the pictures that they wanted to take of this diamond-shaped UFO. He says that they saw it hovering above the ground, and they knew in their hearts that this was something that was under intelligent control. That's what he told Annie, according to Annie anyway. Alan then had the pictures developed and ended up telling some people on the base about it. So there's your connection there of how anybody found out you know, this this thing ever happened to begin with. Because next thing you know, they find themselves all being interrogated about that sighting. And Alan says that the American man actually took his camera, the photos, and the negatives, all of them never to be seen again. He then asked Annie to just leave and never come back because he was just so spooked about the whole thing 
that he didn't want to deal with it anymore. So as time went on, Annie dealt with many skeptics regarding her story and this sighting. But in her defense, she points to witnesses like her own mother and co-workers who corroborate her story of being taken away, at least, by the military police. Her mother says, actually, that they first came to the house looking for her and she told them that she's at work. And then they ended up going to Annie's job and scooping her up there where her co-workers do say that, yeah, she was taken out by military police. So you can make of it all what you will, but in the 30 years since this supposed sighting, there's yet to be anyone who can debunk her story. There's even a picture of her that uh, I'm going to tweet this out actually on the UAP Twitter account at UAPodcast850, um, where she is kind of drawing the diamond-shaped UFO that, again, she and the other two officers allegedly saw that night back in 1991. So fascinating story. I mean, you imagine just being chased by a UFO, seeing this diamond-shaped craft. And we've heard about the diamond-shaped crafts before. They're not very common, but according to Annie, she saw one that night and went through quite the ordeal because of it back in 1991. Now, believe it or not, that's not the only UFO chase story out of Australia. In fact, an even more intense encounter happened a few years earlier, back in 1988, and that's where our second story starts on a remote stretch of road near Perth, Australia. This is a case that had multiple witnesses, physical evidence, and even national attention at the time. And 35 years later, it is yet to be explained. This is the story of the Knowles family and their terror that they had on the road. And it was terrifying. Faye Knowles and her three sons claim an orange blob picked their car up off the highway. They fled in terror into the scrub until the object disappeared. For the Knowles family, it was to have been a routine drive across the Nullarbor. That all changed as the family approached the town of Mundrabilla on the air highway. They claim that's when they had their unexpected and terrifying encounter with the unknown. So, yeah, that's how this whole thing starts. Car is picked up, put down, they're chased. It felt it hit the top of the roof. So it's a pretty wild one. And, and I do want to say real quick, actually, that I have to give credit where credit is due on this particular story. I got to say thank you to uh, uh, one of our listeners, Brad Wolf, because he, he actually sent me this story on the UAP Twitter account. And I'm happy he did. He sent it to me after the Australian Sightings Part 1 episode. And he's like, dude, you got to check this one out. And to his credit, I had actually never heard of this story before. But once I looked into it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to talk about this. So I'm really happy. Thank you, because it is it's quite the story, as you already started to hear. So, again, thank you, Brad, for uh, for reaching out to me on this one. But to pick it back up where we left off, this family of four is just driving along a remote highway in the middle of the night as they're all of a sudden approached and engaged by what they described as a bright egg-shaped UFO. So the four of them are in this car, and this this egg-shaped UFO starts to chase them down. And I, I do find the report of the egg shape to be particularly uh, interesting, just because we have heard of craft like that in the past. Again, another rare one, the egg and the diamond, you don't hear too much about, but we have heard about a few of those with other sightings in the past. So we do have, you know, essentially one of the classic shapes here. Now, the Knowles family actually did do quite a bit of press immediately following this incident, again, because it was such a public event that caught the attention of many people throughout the country in Australia. I mean, there were witnesses on the road, actually a couple of truck drivers, who did say they saw this car get lifted in the air. 
by what they described by a big, strange light. So, I mean, were they trying to be abducted? Was this egg-shaped craft, uh, craft trying to abduct them? Was it trying to intimidate them? I don't know, but there's a lot of detail with the story that the family went further into during different interviews. So I want to play you some of those clips from the family themselves as they explain what ended up happening during this ordeal, which was only lasted about, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes. But my gosh, it was probably the longest 10, 15 minutes of their lives. Here's a bit more from one of the sons. His name is Patrick. And he begins to talk about a strange smoke that was starting to fill the car. It was really weird. All this smoke, and it was like smoke. Not like, it was like smoke. And me and my brother started to go crazy, you know. I thought it was going in my head. Felt like my brain was getting sucked out. So I, I want to make clear that that sound there didn't skip or anything. He just, he's baffled. I mean, he heard him repeat himself. It was like smoke, some kind, some kind of smoke. He's trying to find the words to explain what he experienced that night. And then the feeling he's talking about, of like his brain getting sucked out. Now, obviously that didn't happen. My gosh, that would be awful. But that just makes me think what's happening there. I mean, is it, was there some type of suction as this thing was lifting the car up? Was there, you know, some type of pressure that was making him feel like his brain was getting sucked out? I mean, I've never heard a description like that before. Um, But there's more to that smoke detail, actually that you're going to hear in a couple of minutes. So kind of remember that part there. It's something that I've never heard anything quite like the detail you're going to hear about the smoke in a little while. But one of the things that really gets me about this one is that it was an incident that was investigated by the police the very next day. When they came to check out the car, they did indeed find a dent on the roof of the car, which would coincide with their claim of this thing coming down on top of them and they also did find a strange ash-like residue inside the car that would match that story you just heard about this strange type of smoke being in there whatever it was so there's your physical evidence so you have eyewitnesses who were on the road who say they did see this car getting picked up by some type of strange light i mean again can you imagine seeing something like that and then you have the police in an official police report from 1988 saying yes there is a dent on the roof of the car Decide for yourself how it got there. And there was some type of strange residue inside the car. So maybe some type, again, physical evidence to match up with what they are describing there. Whether or not it came from this this encounter that they're talking about, you decide for yourself. But something obviously happened there. Now, there's more to this now that the Knowles family actually spoke about back in 1988. So just some more clips I want to play for you. Because this was a couple of days after their encounter. They did a TV news interview with one of the local stations. And um, they they interviewed all of them, actually. The mother and the... Gro- I mean, these these kids were, were grown. They're, they're adults at this point. So it's not like these were little kids when, when this happened. But here's what the mother had to say when the uh, interviewer asked her why they believed they had a true UFO encounter. So listen to her answer here because it's, well, it's kind of odd. Here's uh, Mrs. Knowles and what she had to say. Because we actually saw it, you know, it was chasing us and it all of a sudden it landed on our car, put our car back and I put my hand at the window and I, I found on the roof. It was like a um, sponge on the roof, it was sucking the roof, you know, the car. It was a sponge. I saw it. A sponge? I mean, I don't know what to make of that. Again, this this is why this story is kind of 
was blowing my mind why I wanted to, to get it out to you here on this episode because it has these details of UFO encounter, UAP encounter that I, I've never heard before about some type of strange smoke, um, some type of spongy sub substance, you know, that's on this thing that she felt on the roof. I, I, I don't, I really don't know what to make of that. So I guess, you know, we got to look more. Maybe there's other sightings that people have talked about giving details like that. But here's more from that interview as another one of the sons named William talks more about the encounter and the events that led up to the craft landing on the roof. Here's, here's how he recounted things leading up to all that stuff. So I got up closer to have a look and it was moving backwards and forwards. And so we decide to take off to have a look. We decide to take off and it was flying miles back and I drove miles up the road again and it was in front of us again. How, how high off the ground was it? It was, it was on the ground. I mean, it was on the ground. It was on the ground, facing us when we drove along. And then, so it was moving along with you? Yeah, it was following us. Mm. So you heard the uh, interviewer there asking them those questions, and it's striking. I mean, you can kind of picture yourself being in, the, in that situation. They're trying to get away from this craft. They don't know what it is, and it's following them down the road on street level, according to their story. I mean, they are actually being chased by UFO, and it's really odd. I've never actually uh, talked about two stories on the same episode before where someone's being followed. I mean, actively being followed. You had the story that we just went through with, with Annie Farinaccio talking about this diamond-shaped uh, you know, UFO following them. Now you have the Knowles family a few years earlier before Annie talking about this egg-shaped craft following them. And then that kind of makes me think about the stories you hear about with fighter jets, right? Even going back to the Foo Fighter days of World War II, when they talk about being followed by these bright lights. Why, why are people being followed, I guess, is my question when it comes to all this. Whether it's fighter jets, passenger jets, or people in cars. It's, it's a fascinating question to me. It's an intriguing question. I don't know, maybe even a disturbing question to ask why... Are they being followed? I mean, why, why, what is it with these craft or the occupants of the, of the craft that makes them want to follow people in a car or in an airplane? I don't know. But the chase didn't stop there. These poor people, this, these, this poor family, they were now quite literally, according to their story, being hotly pursued by an alien craft. And the family recounted in their story that they actually reached speeds of over 120 miles per hour, which in kilometers, it was over 200 kilometers, but in... You know, for our sake, as, as an American myself, going by miles per hour, over 120 miles per hour, while they were trying to get away from this thing. That's fast. That's really fast. And what happened next? Well, naturally, their tire blew out. Of course, right? Right. right when, I mean, what else could you ask for when you're being chased by aliens but to get a blown tire? Now, I say that as the tire blew... The craft then at that point, it's this is an important detail that the Knowles family tells. When the tire blew, the craft at that point came down on top of their roof. So you have to imagine they're flying down the road. I mean, well, actually the UFO is flying, but they're going very fast down the road at 120 miles per hour. The tire blows. The UFO then comes down on their roof. And oddly enough, that's what actually kept them from flipping over or spinning out of control because you have to imagine... 
if you're going at over 100 miles per hour and your tire blows, you're not just going to, you know, gently skid to a stop. You're going to go flipping through the air. You're going to skid out somewhere. It's not going to be good. But this thing comes down on the roof and that actually keeps them grounded, according to their story. That's what they tell. But it was also at this point that the F, uh, the, the UFO started to release that strange smoke you heard about earlier. So I want to pick that back up because this is where you're going to hear a detail again that I've never heard before relating to a possible, you know, otherworldly type of encounter. We're going to go back to the Knowles family and their son Patrick as he says their voices started to change in this moment as the smoke started to come into the car. It's really strange. When it was on the roof, I went down my window and all this smoke started coming. It was like a grayish black mist. And that's when our voices started to change. All of us, our voices just went really deep and strange. And we found like we felt like we were dying. So, obviously, it sounds like he's, I mean, maybe he's describing a panic attack, obviously, right? I mean, you say they felt like they were dying. I'm sure it's because they were just so terrified. They had no idea what was happening around them. That's just my assumption anyway on that end. But I've never heard that detail. Maybe you have. I don't know about voices changing during a possible, you know, alleged alien encounter. I I don't really know how to explain that one, but that's the detail that they give. I mean, the only thing that I could think of is, are, I mean, are they slowing down time somehow? So when almost like if you take a recording of yourself and you put it into an editing system and you slow it down and it makes you sound like, you know, you're talking really slow with a deep voice, right? That's that's what would happen if you took your voice and put it into an editing system and slowed it down. You're actually slowing down the time. So is that what was happening here? Did time slow down for them? What Did, did this craft actually slow down time in that moment, which would cause this voice change in a deep voice. That's the only thing I can think of. Otherwise, I, I really don't know what to make of that. Maybe that sounds crazy. I don't know, but that's that's the only explanation I can think of. If, if of course, you believe their story here. And he, now, Patrick also says they did hear a noise coming from this thing, kind of like a, a humming noise. He described it as making like a hmm type of noise, that, that type of humming. And what I do also find strange, just to kind of get back on the voice real quick, um, there were fishermen who were out on the on the water at the same time. And on the same night, these fishermen actually recount that they also saw this bright light, an egg-shaped craft. So not only do you have the Knowles family telling this story of this incredible encounter, but you also had two fishermen tell the same story. And they described the same thing, that their voices changed and became very deep it's a really odd detail so i mean i'm curious maybe we'll come across something like that again but it's again the only thing i can think of is that this craft is actually slowing down time to make the voice sounds slower and deeper but you have two different instances on the same night of two different people or groups of people really giving the same detail it's fascinating but finally after all that damage was done the ufo shot off into the sky, and the family was able to leave the car. And they said they probably went out, they went out into the bushes and hid there for about 10 minutes. 
before they felt safe enough to go back and attempt to drive home. So this thing is on their car. The mist is coming in. It tries to pick them up. They land back on the ground. It takes off, and now they go to hide in the bushes, okay? It's basically what happened here. So after about 10 minutes or so, they say, okay, let's, let's try to get back in the car and go home. And would you believe it? As soon as they started driving again, this egg-shaped craft reappeared and started to follow them again. And now they say the only reason they were able to get away was because they actually turned off their lights and they were able to lose this craft. It stopped following them. That's their story. I know it sounds wild, maybe even implausible, but just remember that you have also the fishermen who say that they had a a similar encounter, and you also have the truck drivers who say they did see this car get picked up. This thing was investigated by police. They had the dent on the roof of the car. They had strange residue inside. I don't know. But it's it's a, it's a terrifying story, really, and it sounds like a horror movie, quite honestly. I'm surprised that a movie wasn't made about this. Maybe there was. I got to look in. Maybe there was a movie made about this that I'm not aware of. But, I mean, just imagine a scenario like that. Put yourself in that situation. It's, it's unbelievable. And they did make their feelings of sheer terror known during their interviews. And on this final sound here from Mrs. Knowles, I really believe that you can actually hear the fear in her voice as uh, she kind of made her closing statement here on this interview that they gave on that local news station. It was strange. It was following us everywhere. We wouldn't leave us alone. I was a nervous wreck. Yeah, I would be too. And again, you can believe whatever you want about this. Obviously, it's always up to you. That's, that's always the thing here with UAP. It's always up to you. I just give you the story. But they really did seem absolutely terrified during their retelling of their story. And I really fell for them, you know, kind of listening, going through their the, the clips from their interviews and seeing the video of their interviews. They look terrified. They, they look like they when they're talking about it, you can see that they're thinking back on something. And I, all I can say is that something absolutely did happen to them. There's no doubt about that. Just watching their interviews You can tell by looking at their faces something happened to them. You can tell by the police report that something happened to them. Their tire was blown. The car was dented. A strange residue inside. Whatever happened to them, it left them shaken for sure. But before we go, I want to leave you with this statement from a man named Elliot Seifert. Now, this is just a quick thing. Um, He's an Australian Navy veteran, and he was doing an interview about a sighting he had while on patrol one night on the Navy ship. Now, I wouldn't normally play something completely out of context like this. This is its own story uh, from, this, from this guy, Elliot Seifert. But I felt that he, what he had to say here was so profound that it was a good way to wrap up this episode. So I'm going to play you this clip from Elliot after he was kind of retelling his story in an in uh, interview. This is how he ended his thought, and it's... Worth listening to. Uh, I guess maybe that's the best way I can put it. So here's Elliot. It wasn't space junk hitting other space junk. It was a steady white light that just didn't change. I know it in my soul. Deep down I know, okay, that's unexplainable. It changed me as knowing that, okay, we're not hit. We're, We're not hit. Maybe they're watching, watching what we're doing, laughing at us, thinking we're ants, I don't know. And it made me think, wow, if we're this small, what are we doing?
Hmm. Yeah, not much more for me to add right there. Just something to ponder on, I suppose. But that will do it for this episode of UAP. And I must tell you now, real quick, that I am going to take a little break. Nothing major. I'm not stopping or anything like that. But it's just a... Uh, it's time for me just to take a little break before I come back with episode 71 of UAP. But I will be sure to keep you updated on that on uh, the, the Twitter account at UAPodcast850. But that said, I will not be taking a break from UAP Weekly. You can expect to hear that coming up next week as of this date right now as I speak to you. And I have a feeling that there's going to be plenty to catch up on at that point, whether it's about the uh, disclosure conference I'll be at in Washington, D.C. on June 12th, or whether it's about this Las Vegas story, or anything else that comes up between now and then. UAP Weekly, I'm sure, will be chock full of goodies for you when I get to come back and talk to you again on that next week. But a little bit of a break for this classic edition of UAP, but not too long. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with this portion of UAP. But until then, you can continue to download and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, and you can always follow me and the show on uh, Twitter at UAPodcast850, where you can interact with me directly with any of your feedback or stories of your own that, that you would like to relate. I'm always open to that as well. Also, and this is new, um, I, I thought maybe I would get this going for you as well. If you'd like to email the show as an alternate to using social media, you can now do that as well. And you can email the show at um, sdeaneruap at gmail.com. So sdeaner, and I know pretty original, right? It's just Stephen Deaner. So my first initial, my last name, S-D-I-E-N-E-R-U-A-P at gmail.com. If you want to uh, get in touch with me that way, feel free to do that as well. But that said, Stephen Deaner here on UAP saying so long for now. And I'll speak with you again very soon. Until then, be well, and thank you very much.